Australian rugby now. Bit of a recap on the Wallaby season. It started on July 2nd. They were they ended up beating England in the first test of the season by 30 points to 28. They would then go on and lose the next two tests to England, 25 points to 17, and then 21 points to 17. They'd bounce back three weeks later and beat Argentina at home, 41 points to 26. They would then lose to Argentina, then lose to South Africa. In fact, they would beat South Africa 25-17, then they would lose to South Africa by 24 points to 8. They should have beaten us, and really they did beat us in that first Bledisloe Cup game. However, it does go down as a 39-37 defeat. Then blown off the park at Eden Park, 40 points to 14. Northern Hemisphere to it. Beat Scotland 16 points to 15. Almost tipped up the number one side in the world, France, but ended up getting beaten by 30 points to 29. And then the one that Peter Mears sensed might be coming, but no one really thought would happen, Italy beat Australia 28 points to 27. Good performance against Ireland, but ended up losing 13 points to 10. And then somehow they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, beating Wales in the last test of the year, 39 points to 34. So five wins, nine test losses. Peter Mears joins us on the programme. Peter, good evening, welcome. Thanks, Wado. Yeah, it's uh, interesting listening to those statistics. All pretty close, except for the one against New Zealand. It was a bit of a blowout, but um, not a bad season. I mean, they could have they could have won five out of five on that tour uh, through Europe, and it just shows that there's a bit of immaturity, a bit of inconsistency, a lot of ill-discipline. Uh, quite often, though, trying to match teams that had uh, one or two more players because they had players in the bin. But, of course, that will come. And uh, I think, overall, they're shaping quite well for the World Cup in 10 months' time. I know you've been a little bit critical, and others have been critical with Dave Rennie in terms of not often a lot of consistency in selection week to week. But I guess one thing Australian rugby needs is depth, needs competition for places. Um, But in trying to achieve that, that might mean losing some tests. Do you feel that there is... Um, some ration, rationale in that? I think that's what Rennie's plan was on the tour, to give all the fringe players a go to see how they shape up with a view for the long term of uh, World Cup next year. And it, it didn't pay off. It backfired against Italy because they ran the second string side out against Italy. When you look at the record, 18 wins to Australia and no losses, you thought, well, you know, he's backing a fairly good favourite, but uh, he got beaten by a very good Italian side, I've got to say. It's the best I've ever seen Italy play, and their style of football was to be commended much better than the usual 10-man game they used to play. They were really good. Mm. So, Dave Rennie, how has he uh, been received by the rugby public? Is he the reason why they're losing, or are people realistic to say, look, at the moment, as it has been probably for the last 10 years, there's just not the depth there. Um, and, you know, you, you can only really... You've still got to have the talent. You, you, you can only play the cattle you've got. Yeah, I think people are realistic. The old-timers, anyway, the young ones want instant gratification, of course, but um, that's not going to happen with Australian rugby because you know, we just don't have the numbers, we don't have the depth. But uh, I think he's been commendably uh, resolute and determined in his efforts, and 
the ultimate test to me is what the players think. And you can tell from the interviews that they do that they just love playing for Rennie. They adore the way he prepares the team, the way he selects the team, and that's shown in the, the football they play in the park. I mean, that try they scored against France was as good a try as you'd see all season, I reckon. Um, and some of the the fight back in the last 25 minutes against Wales to come back from 21 points down um, to score 23 points in the last 20 minutes is pretty outstanding. It showed the spirit in the team. And it's also showed the strength of the bench guys and how good these young fringe players really can be. Let's talk about those young fringe players. Who are the players that have impressed you this year? Who are the players that you think are going to have or will end up spending a lot of time in the Wallaby jersey going forward? Well, there's one name that I love trying to say. Mark Nwonga Nitawasi. It took me a while practising that. Marky Mark, as they call him, with that terrible... Fijian name, but wow, what a talent. He's a superstar in the budding at the moment. Um, I imagine you've seen his last couple of matches. He showed his glimpses of his ability in the Australia A game against Japan, where he stood up one of their star wingers and scored a brilliant try with him in and away and his surge of speed. But he's, he goes looking for the ball. He's big, strong, athletic, uh, got very strong legs and uh, a pretty impressive upper body. He's a big boy. And I thought he was the takeaway superstar of the autumn tour for the Australians. If you think uh, ahead, a back three of Nwonga, Nitawasi, Corambetti and Kellaway would pose a threat to kick returns. And with players like Cooper, Foley, Lolasio, they've got some depth in the playmakers. If you go into the halves, you've got uh, White and McDermott. I think Gordon's got to take a breather. He just seems to be in trouble the whole time when he plays. And you've got another yellow against Wales. Uh, in the centres, you can take your pick from Karevi, Paisami, Ikatao, and with players like Campbell, Wright, Pataya as backups. The pack is always a bit of a toss-up with Australia. It just seems to be. But it looks pretty solid with the experience of Slipper and Alalatoa. There's depth in the hookers with Pareki, Fangar and Lonigan. And uh, the props, we've got uh, Robertson and Bell. In the back row, there's Hooper, Valentini, Samu, Gleeson, McWright. So there's plenty of strength there. The weakness is in discipline. The most cards of any Tier 1 team in the last season. And that is a problem that Rennie's got to work on. Yeah, it's OK. Let's go back, though. If the World Cup was to be held next month, who's your halfback first five combination? Nick White. And if, if Quade Cooper was fit, I'd pick him every day. Uh, but if he wasn't fit, I'd pick Lolosia, the young one. I think he's just got talent that Bernard Foley's never going to have. I mean, Bernie's not bad, he's consistent, but uh, he just doesn't have the X factor. Midfield combination. Uh, Karevi and Paisami would be my centres. Uh, on the wings, let me think. Uh, probably, it's hard. <laughs> I'm thinking, mate. That's all right. Um, no, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, Peter, but... Tom, well, Corin Betty's one for me. Oh, and Nwanganitawasi. I keep forgetting, he's the new boy. 
So they're the, they're the two wingers for sure, and both of them are outstanding this last season. Pity that we didn't have Coram Betty for the autumn tour, but he's a match winner every day of the week. Um, not a bad lineup, is it? No, Taniella uh, Tupo, the Tongan Thor out of Sacred Heart College here in Auckland. Where's he at at the moment? I sort of feel that I don't know. Perhaps he's just got a little bit too full of himself. Um, not as fit as he could have been. Um, where does where's he sort of fit at the moment? Well, I think it all goes back to the fact that his partner had a baby and he took a month off to be with the child and help with the birth and all that sort of thing. And with a bloke of his physique, he loses fitness pretty quickly. And that's one of the outstanding things about the Tongan Thor is he's got speed, he's got handling ability, he's not only got strength and scrummaging ability, he's an incredible package when he's on form. But I think this was the worst we've seen of him since he came into the Wallabies in the last uh, tour. He just didn't seem fit. He didn't seem motivated. And he had a nagging calf, which I think could turn out to be an Achilles. I'm not sure what the diagnosis is, but when he's fit, he is a force of nature. I mean, he can beat anyone in the scrum, I reckon. He's almost single-handedly changed the Wallabies' scrum. But I don't think he'd count on him for the World Cup. You don't think he will get picked or you don't think he'll be available for the World Cup? I think he's just... That problem with his leg, I think, is not going to get better in a, in a hurry. Uh, it looks to me, when you think of, you know, 135 kilos on that leg, when he's pushing in scrums and trying to sidestep and so forth, puts a lot of pressure on. And it looks like, in the manner of the last two injuries, nothing happened. He just stepped in an awkward way and went down in a screaming heap and... I don't think he'll be around mm. for quite a while. It's funny though, isn't it? You start to lose your fitness. It's amazing how much quicker, how how much easier it is to actually pick up injuries, and it just shows the emphasis. It shows the importance yeah. of making sure that you are fit, and particularly match fit. Absolutely, yeah. And if you've got one injury, that normally leads to another one because you're sort of trying to protect the injury. Yeah, you, overco- uh, you overcompensate on that. You overcompensate on the other leg, absolutely. So, so look, um, there's a bit of a break, and then we're going to get back into uh, Super Rugby Pacifica. Um, are we expecting to see a, a step up again in performance from the Australian teams? Those players that were brought into the wider squads have had a year of Super Rugby behind them. What's the, what, yeah? How much wishful thinking is there from the Australian rugby public? I, I mean, how realistic that the Australian teams can you know, continue that evolution, continue that upward progression? Well, I, I think the signs are good, you know. from I'm a bit of an optimist, I suppose. I always hope you know, we come around to World Cups. After all, we have one too, so that's pretty impressive for a, a country with the number of players that we have. Um, and I think these tours that they've done to Japan and through Europe have really uh, improved the prospects of players like Nwanga Nitawasi. Uh, but lots of other young fringe players. There's, um, you know, there's a number of youngsters there, like uh, that Knott's Lonigan, the fellow who scored the winning try for Hooker against uh, Wales. He's a real prospect. I think he's a better player. He's certainly better at throwing into the line-out than Falao Fangar. And Dave Parecki's been injured, so I'd say he's our first-choice hooker at the moment. He's come from the clouds. That Nick Frost, I think he's the best forward prospect we've got, apart from Valentini, who's been very consistent and uh, is a bit more experienced. But Frost's two metres five tall and 
plays to it. He's really got ability. I, I think Darcy Swain is a potentially terrific lock, but he's had a bit of trouble with the referees and the judiciary in recent times, as we all know. And I suppose his name's a dirty word in New Zealand from what he did. But uh, he's certainly got ability. Yeah, but that's that discipline thing, isn't it, that you talked about. That is something that sometimes you need, if you want to sort your discipline out, make an example of one player and, you know, maybe he's the player that you go, look, guy's got all the talent in the world, we believe in him, but, boy, this discipline stuff's just costing us tests. I left an obvious one out, uh, Skelton, who's been playing in France for so long that we'd forgotten he was in Aussie. And we had him for a couple of tests on this tour and he was really impressive, I thought. He plays to his weight and he makes that line bend a bit because of his bulk. And uh, uh, apart from him, Matt Phillip is another one, Caterin Neville, who's 35 years of age, but still as good a line-out man as we've got. So there's, a, there's certainly a lot more depth, Mark, than we've had for a long while, uh, provided we can get them fit. I mean, 11 players out of 36 were sent home because of injuries on this tour. Mm. That's... That's too bad, and four of them were Achilles injuries. Mm. There's something wrong with the way they're preparing, I think. Mm. Just looking on that at the end of the year tour, I mean, you came very close to beating France, came very close to beating Ireland. You beat uh, Wales, and you've ended up beating Scotland. It will be interesting, won't it, the Northern Hemisphere sides? They always get a little bit cocky when they get one up over the Southern Hemisphere sides, and they've probably had the measure of the Southern Hemisphere for the first time in history over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, but... Again, those Australian performances, All Blacks went okay, South Africa went well. It just demonstrates too that, you know, they say a week is a long time in politics, but the next nine months is going to be a long time in international rugby and how quickly things can turn around. Yeah, absolutely. What's going to happen to Eddie Jones, I wonder? Uh, and Clive Woodward's given him a real spray and said that England rugby is at an all-time low. Uh, they're doing a, an appraisal of his season, in the next two weeks they'll have a decision, so do they go to the World Cup with Eddie or do they flick him and get somebody else to give him time in the saddle? I don't know. Everything's up in the air. I mean, I said to you, I think, when we last spoke when we were about to play Ireland, that I didn't think Ireland was as impressive as everyone thought they were, and I think we should have beaten them if we were just cool-headed. We could have won that match, uh, which we lost by three points. But uh, you know, we, we beat Scotland, Wales we beat. It showed uh, that they, you know, they didn't hang on for the last 20 minutes, is what we've been doing in recent years, so that's good. But I think the Southern Hemisphere teams can beat the Northern Hemisphere teams on their day. It's just on this tour, we weren't uh, as prepared as they were. I mean, they all looked informed, and, uh, and you've got to take refereeing into account too, the, Interpretations are so different, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you that, Peter. I mean, how, I mean, there's been a few articles written here, and I'm a big believer in it as well. That the problem with rugby and the problem with the World Cup next year is that it could just be a bit of a lottery. I mean, you get guys like uh, Matthew Reynard out of France, who just seems whistle happy and brings up rules that you've never seen in the game used before, and um, is incredibly pedantic. We see some yellow cards and red cards being given um, for very unintentional head clashes, others similar, and nothing's been done because it's been interpreted as not intentional. And there's a lot of concern that the World Cup might be decided by 
again, uh, of referees' interpretation. And everyone says, oh, look, try and take the referee out of the game. But when you get the likes of South Africa, Ireland, France, uh, England, I mean, there's not a lot in it. It's pretty hard to take the referee out of it in terms of points on the board. And it just depends who's refereeing the big ones. Um, I mean, I hate the rule about um, knock-ons. You go for an intercept and you knock the ball on and you're off for 10 minutes for a deliberate knock forward, as they say. I mean, nobody deliberately knocks the ball forward. It's such a silly interpretation of the rule. At the most, it should be a penalty, not a send-off mm. offence. And, uh, I mean, don't get me started on the rolling mall. Uh, Legalised I mean, offside. Yes, legalised obstruction every time. Mm. And very rarely do the referees pick up on it, but occasionally you get one that does. And so the poor players don't know what to do. They've got to make, get some more consistency in the interpretations of these laws because it's different in the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere, that's for sure. Mm. Peter, we had you on a couple of weeks ago because you've written a novel. It's called The Long Shot. It's um, about the murder of a cricketer at the SCG. It's um, to do with match fixing. Um, it's a book of fiction, but it's very different to the books you've previously written. Have you had the official launch and how's it been received? No, no, we haven't had the official launch. Uh, the Rugby Club have been very good. They've offered me their venue to host launch. Gordon Bray is coming up from Sydney, the noted rugby commentator, who's an old mate of mine. Uh, so he's going to do the launch. And we've got, um, we've sent out about 100 invitations. I don't know how many we'll get on the day, but it's on the 12th of December. Monday, the 12th of December is the launch. Uh, I just hope the books arrive from England in time because I haven't got a single copy yet. I've got my manuscript in my hot little hand, but no other copies that I can sell to people. Uh, so not having had a book published from an overseas publisher, uh, I'm a little bit uncertain as to what's going to happen, but I think it'll all, it's still a couple of weeks to go. So all right, I've well, sent them various emails saying, please send my books. Well, Peter, lovely having you on the program. And I will just encourage our listeners one more time, the book when it is released, it's called The Long Shot. It's um, going to be a very good read, something slightly different, written by Peter Mears. Um, it is a it is a, a thriller. It is hopefully going to be end up being a bestseller. And word on the street is that if they end up making a movie, I'll probably get a starring role in it, Peter. Absolutely. You're the private eye come cricket commentator, what are? Yeah, good-looking fella does too, to be fair. To yeah, no, that does appeal to me. Yeah, he, he's uh, good-looking, young, hot-headed. <laughs> All your qualities. <laughs> hey, Peter, lovely having you on your program. Thank you for joining us as always. Thanks, mate. There Cheers. you go, Peter Mears out of Australia.